As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sif Pop Podcast is recorded in front of a live internet audience. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that has been motion captured this entire time and you <laughs> didn't even know it. It's Sif Pop. Uh, Aaron, it's performance capture now. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Totally sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Sif Pop, streaming live on Mixler every Friday afternoon or available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks! Patrons get those perks. Ape. I'm Aaron Dicer from YourMovieFriend.com. I'm joined by Andrew Ormsby from Flick Freaks. Ahoy! And every week we'll be joined by a pop culture guru to chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And you already heard him laughing in the background. Welcome, <laughs> Greg Alba Yay! from Real Aloha! What's Yo-ha. going on? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Greg, it's great to have you on. Uh, you know, this is the first great time be you've here. been on. We spent a little time with you in the Patron pre-show, got to know the movies, you know, on your Sif Shame list, all that kind of fun stuff. But tell us a little bit about what you do. What is Real Rejects and, you know, what can people look forward to seeing there? Uh, the Real Rejects start off as a movie talk channel that quickly turned into primarily being this reaction review channel. And uh, we, there was a time a couple of years ago where a lot of people were doing reactions and I love to do reviews. So I believe I was one of the first people to actually do a reaction and a review at the same time. I felt like a lot of people just kind of do a reaction and then say subscribe. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, even though most people still click off after the reaction, we do like these 10-minute reviews of trailers and YouTube videos afterwards. But we also have movie reviews on there. We have... Uh, we have discussion videos, and we do sketches every two to three months as well. Just anything, We try to keep it as much film-related as possible and slowly expanding and branching out, bring on a lot of guests, have a lot of fun. How long have, you, uh, how long have you been doing Real Rejects? Uh, this would be the fourth year. We started uploading regularly January 2013. So this is our fourth year, uh, 485,000 subscribers. Nice! Yeah, it's going well. It's going well. Pushing up towards that half a mil. Yeah. Yeah, and then maybe someone will love me. 
I do have to say, uh, if it wasn't for Greg and the Real Rejects, Flick Freaks would not be a thing. Oh, really? 100% because, Aww. and I'm not I'm not just trying to be nice or anything, that is 100% fact, because we were just doing our podcast for the, uh, for the movie reviews and stuff, and uh, I saw Greg do a reaction for Godzilla, which is a movie I was incredibly excited for, and I thought, man, a reaction, why haven't I ever thought of doing that? So I started it, and then the channel just kind of took off. So if it wasn't for Greg and him inspiring me to try it out, Flick Freaks wouldn't be a thing. Oh, that's awesome, Aww, man. So, thank you, thank Greg. You. Your check is in thank the mail. You. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I, I actually remember doing that. Yeah, I think that's when the format started to come to fruition, when it was like, oh, I give anticipation thoughts, and then I do the... Re- I, it seems like so simple, because so many people do it now, but I remember being one of the first to do it. Yeah, and, you were a uh, godfather for that whole movement, so... And no one gives me credit! No one gives me credit! <laughs> Except for you, thank you. <laughs> He's waited that. four years for this moment. Four years for a compliment. I appreciate that. Uh, all right. Well, we've got a fun show in in store today. We've got a lot of cool stuff. We've got uh, best ever Woody Harrelson movies. We're going to talk about. Of course, we've got our buried treasure at the end. We'll take a sift quest from you. Um, about uh, female performances, which I thought was a really good question, especially jumping off of our conversation from last week. Um, we'll also, of course, review the latest Apes movie, War for the Planet of the Apes. But before we get into that, let's do some Do We Care? Every single week, I scour the internet to find out what is going on in the entertainment world, and I pick roughly three topics. This week, we have four, and we decide awesome. if we care about, or we decide if we care about them or not. And if we do care about them, we discuss them further. Number one, Matt Reeves, who we're going to be talking about twice, or I guess three times today, because he did <laughs> Apes. But I was going to say, yeah, twice. And do we care? Matt Reeves is thinking about doing a trilogy in the Batfleck universe, and also, I'm just going to wrap these up into into one. He is throwing out Ben Affleck's original script for the movie. Well, let's take these one at a time. I actually care about both of them. I think they're both interesting stories. I obviously really respect Reeves for what he's done with the War for the Planet of the Apes stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, if nothing else. Um, The first part of this, doing a trilogy in that universe, I think I would be more interested in if it already didn't feel so damaged. You know what I mean? Like, that's the... The thing about the Batfleck universe is it yeah. just feels like it's got a lot of damage done to it already that's going to be hard to dig out of. Yeah, I, I totally get it. And it's also uh, moving into the second, just to jump ahead, because I do agree with you on that front, but I was really excited for Ben Affleck's script from because what I've heard from it is it was very detective-based. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't just, I'm going to run around punching people until I find the arch nemesis for the movie. It was very, what I've been missing from a Batman movie for so long is that he's the world's greatest detective. That's what I was really hoping for and him throwing it out. Also, you got to think about this. Ben Affleck is like a straw that broke the camel's back on getting out of this DC universe. He wants, he wanted out for a while. Now you're throwing out his script for the movie. uh, That might just send him over the edge. I don't know. Like I'm done. It's been a while since I felt really sorry for a famous celebrity (laughs) 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 because um, I I agree with you guys. First off, when it comes to the trilogy, I get kind of tired of hearing about movies planned for trilogies or franchises. It gets to the point where I'm like, just focus on it one at a time. Because I know that when Matt Reeves stepped in for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, that was all he was signed on for. He was they didn't sign him on for the next two installments. 
And so he just focused on making one solid installment in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And then he got brought back for war. And as far as him getting the script scrapped, it's I could see the pros and cons to both. One is it's a bummer because when I found out Ben Affleck wasn't directing, it really bummed me out a lot. And then I thought, okay, well, at least his script's going to be there. That's what everyone was saying. Everyone was jumping on board saying his script's still going to be there. Now his script's not even going to be there. I And it's making me wonder, is Ben Affleck even going to care anymore by the time it gets around to filming the Batman? I know he's contractually obligated. Exactly. Like, is he going to show up on set and actually have a passion for being involved in this film? Because it just seems like he's lost complete interest in it. But at the same time, I understand that Matt Reeves, you know, it's, it, if he's a director, it's going to be his medium anyway. And one thing that these directors need to make a great film, and Wonder Woman showed it, is to have their own creative control over what the yeah. story is that's being told. I totally, so. I totally agree with that. That is uh, the part of it that that I was going to chime in with is if Matt Reeves wants to be able to make his movie, he has to be able to, you know, believe in the script, understand where it's going, and be the creative force. The the best movies we see, and, and there are some exceptions to this. I think there are great movies made that that do have different, you know, several different inputs. But for the most part, one creative force behind it seems to work really well uh, for these kind of movies. Um, so yeah, I, I would back him up in that, but I agree. It'd be interesting to see what Affleck does here. Of course, I haven't heard a word from his mouth. So until like he says, uh, you know, I'm out or I'm on board or whatever, you know, I'll kind of hold my, my, uh, thoughts on that. Other than to say, you can tell when the Batman V Superman stuff was going down, how disappointed he was to have to have been involved in that, you know? Well, they had that sad Batfleck thing oh, going with Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can tell. So. <laughs> yeah, that was hysterical. Well, yeah. I mean, the guy's going through a personal life turmoil too. I mean, he had yeah. to go to rehab and he got a divorce, and uh, we never take these personal life factors into consideration. And yeah, I don't know. He's, he's a human being after all. That's so very true. Maybe he needs to step out. But I, I would love to. It's, it's it's sad because he seems so excited to be doing this at first, and the more time goes on, the less interested he seems in being involved. Still, I am I am generally the last person who cares about this kind of stuff. But aren't he and Garner back together now? Didn't they get back together after the divorce? No idea. I yeah, I, I have no idea. I <laughs> thought I read something that they reconciled. Anyways. I just I'm a big fan of reconciliation. So like, <laughs> we got a very biblical theme going. That's right. That's right. All right, uh, number two. Uh, you're probably not going to care about this, but the English versions of the Grudge. You remember those and how bad <laughs> yeah. they were? Well, Sam Raimi's yeah. going to try again. Uh, no, I don't. I, okay, I don't care about that. What about what about you, Greg? Uh, yeah, we can move on. <laughs> All right. Now, this one you guys are going to care about, I have a feeling. Christopher Nolan. We all know that guy. He makes amazing movies. I like that guy. He wants yeah. to make a James Bond movie. What? What? Wait, a, for real? For real? Because I thought that was just a rumor. Came out today that Christopher Nolan says he is on board if they ask him to do a James Bond movie. So there's nothing what? like there's nothing like in writing or anything where he's, he's going not, to do he's one. He's not contractually. He says he wants to do one. That'd be fun. Oh, I think Daniel Craig would give a damn if that happened. Yeah. I, I Well, I heard Daniel Craig was coming back. Yes, he did um, say that he's that coming was, back. That that was official. Um, I, listen, Nolan can do all the movies. Like, I, as far as I'm concerned, if he's got the time, let him dip his toes into every pond he wants to because, you know, he, he gets the craft for sure. Exactly, yeah. 
Well, he would do a definite type of reboot again. I, I'd imagine. I don't. I don't think he would just pick up with Daniel Craig. I'd imagine that he would revamp it once more, like how he did with Batman Begins. Because I, and I want him to. I wouldn't want him to just continue another installment. As much as if Daniel Craig does want to come back, I just want to see a Christopher Nolan, Idris Elba, James Bond movie. I think that would be pretty cool. Just throwing <laughs> that out there. Gentlemen, that is going to wrap it up for Do We Care. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate that. Uh, we will move on now to review War for the Planet of the Apes. Who is child? I don't know. But she was you. She has no one else. We are not savages. Apes fight only to survive. Bad human kill apes. All, all dead now a long time. Long time. Bad humans. Soldier. War for the Planet of the Apes. Caesar and his ape friends are forced into a deadly conflict with an army of humans led by a ruthless colonel. After the apes suffer unimaginable losses, Caesar wrestles with his darker instincts and begins his own mythic quest to avenge his kind. Uh, This is the third in the prequel trilogy of the uh, Planet of the Apes, following Rise of the Planet of the Apes and then Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which... I've always thought should have been reversed title wise, but you know, hindsight's yeah. 2020. Uh, <laughs> but we go on to war for the planet of the apes and let's start here. What did you think? Did you like it? Love it? Dislike it? Hated it? Or it was just okay. Uh, Andrew, we'll start with you. I'm in between liked it and really liked it. Okay. So not quite to loved it, but somewhere on the high end of liked it. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Greg, what about you? Uh, well, man, I loved it. Loved it. Uh, I'm in the loved it camp too. Oh, good. I absolutely loved this movie. I love what they're doing with this franchise. And man, I feel like this third one was just spectacular. Let me say this then, real quick. Sure. My pros are like out of this world good pros, but there are enough cons that I have for me to keep it from saying I loved it. That makes sense. Interesting. No, I I totally get it. And I'm excited to talk about the cons because I actually didn't have a ton. Um, so I'll, I'll be excited to see, you know, kind of what you have in that area, but let's start with the good stuff first. Okay. Greg, why don't you kick us off? What did you love about this movie? I loved everything about it in the sense that, uh, I, I saw the movie about like three weeks ago, actually. So I'm going a little bit off memory here and some minor notes, but sure. what I, what I remember about it was its tone, this kind of desolate traveler, lone warrior kind of vibe. It, it sort of had this reminiscent tone of like a a Logan movie to me. It's it's, it's kind of a traveling tale. Mm -hmm. And this story of a, of this ape who I'm trying to get my, my thoughts will get into better uh, fruition as this keeps going. But the story of this ape who is out on a revenge mission, but has to learn a lot more. I didn't realize we were going to get a big learning lesson of Caesar that would actually stick with me too. Because a lot of the times in revenge-driven flicks, when it comes to the moment of when he can actually take revenge, usually by that time in a movie or a show, I'm like, well, just do it. We've been waiting the whole time for you to just kill him. Just do it. But this movie built it up <laughs> into a point where when he ha- when, when it came to that moment, and I won't spoil what, what goes on in the scene, but when it came to that scene, 
I was actually conflicted there with Caesar. I was feeling the actual, uh, I was feeling his growth, his journey, and the obstacles he was overcoming. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's one of the best things about the movie is the way that it it tells a story that you not only believe what's going on in these characters, who, by the way, are apes. <laughs> you know, like I'm yeah. buying into these apes in a way that not only understands what they're going through, but informs my own thoughts and my own world. Yeah. And that's when storytelling is done perfect, when it translates and comes out of the screen and you kind of see your own you know, feelings and thoughts in your own life with it. So, yeah, I, I had that experience as well. well yes, because I love, these apes... I love that it was also a Western, too. Sorry, I just wanted to throw that in there. No, no, yeah. you're totally right on that front. You're absolutely right that yeah. it is, has that Western vibe to it. But I love how, with these apes, we get to see the parts of humanity that we try and hold on to and champion, like, you know, love and compassion. Obviously not with all the apes, and I'm going to get into that in a second. And then whenever you get to the actual human elements of this... You see all the things that we try and shun away from or that we're ashamed of. But again, what I love about these movies, and I especially loved about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, is the exceptions to the rules. There's going to be good humans. Mm -hmm. There's going to be bad apes. Right. And I love how it's not just so black and white on that front, you know, like the apes are all good and the humans are all bad. There's, you know, there's on both sides, there's where you're like, oh, man, why can't you just understand where either is coming from yeah and well and i i watched uh the other two in preparation this week Mm -hmm. uh for the third and i'm really glad i did because it it really brought home to me what a tragedy story this franchise is these three movies are they are just an old school tragedy you watch some of that stuff in the first two movies and you just think oh if somebody would have made just this one different choice You know, if somebody would have just seen things just this little bit differently, it could have been a whole different outcome for, you know, what's going on. And I I just think throughout this whole thing, they've done such a great job at bringing that depth and that gravitas to it, you know, where it's something that just feels like you're hurting because it could be different, you know? You could find a way to find acceptance. And that's that thing that, again, translates to our real life where it's like, where in my life do I need to see those moments where I could do better, where I could, you know, yeah. not make that mistake, not be that person? And yeah, I, I really loved all that I, stuff. I, I agree with that because I mean, especially starting from Rise all the way to War, it's really essentially a story about Caesar just suffering the whole time. <laughs> he's he's constantly suffering. He's mistreated from day one, and then as things keep going, he's just constantly trying to do the right thing. And then by the time you get to this movie, he's been wrong so much that he's just giving into his darkness. Because in the first one, he's provoked by his darkness. Second one, he's just trying to keep everything cool. And then this one, it's like he's just had enough, and he need and he needs to settle a score. But and I feel like we've all been there, where especially by the time we're adults, we wanna we uh, we realize all the cliches of life is tough and we've been told that our whole life but then you get to a point where you're like life is tough and you keep trying to make the right choices but sometimes you just kind of you want to give in a little bit and uh, appreciate the movie a lot for doing that and Caesar's journey is one of trying to remember the love he experienced too because the beginning of his life was full of love it was full of understanding it was full of you know, joy. And, you know, that's, that's why we see the window motif is him trying to remember what those days were like, you know, and, and there's a longing there too, with the, the window symbol of, you know, 
what's outside this safe world of love. And unfortunately, what's outside your safe world of love is often pain and tragedy and misunderstanding and those kind of things. So it's it's him in these later movies trying to recall, you know, yeah. why that was important. Why what what was that um, love and understanding and, and what did that feel like and to to bring that to other people? Well, I think one of the uh, the tones or the messages of these movies, all of them together, is knowledge equals pain. You know, the more you learn, the more you suffer. Mm. And uh, I just that became the most prevalent to me with this final movie. And I will say this, and I know this is just coming out of nowhere. Hands down, this is Andy Serkis's best performance he's ever oh, given. Oh, so great! Not best, only best, as yeah. this character, just across his entire career. Yeah, Get, I, I, uh, Oscar. I, I have said uh, many times how uh, tragic it is. Speaking of tragedy, uh, that that he is not nominated for his performances in these motion capture roles, and as somebody who actually has a voice in one of these awards shows you know the critics choice awards uh i will tell you right now uh and again a lot can happen there's still a lot of year left yeah but if there aren't performances better than this i will be pushing uh my fellow critics to recognize him with a nomination and maybe an award if he deserves it uh well, especially and, for this film especially for yeah this film. yes yeah and i i think it's time <laughs> i i i just think i think you know we did it for um we we've shown Saldana and Avatar. Did you guys do? No, no, no. We nominated uh, Scarlett Johansson for Best Supporting Actress oh, her. in her. Yeah, when she her. never appears on screen. Uh, so we have the ability in the you know to take those risks that sometimes Oscar won't. But um, man, I hope Oscar does as well. I hope the Oscar voters see how important this kind of work is because it's an incredible performance. So good. I mean, yeah. without his performance, this does not live like this. No. You know, well, so well the f- the first two movies um, are primarily body language, and in this one he provides the body language, he provides the mannerisms even better this time. But he also talks the most in this one as well, and I feel like that should be recognized because yeah, he does. He's not. It's more than because I, I I could understand with the first one because that was primarily body language. In this one though, he actually speaks for the majority of the movie, yeah, and he he makes it very believable. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes, but I loved him. I thought he was great. I remember watching in Rise and thinking at the time that the CGI of those movies was otherworldly good. And it's still good. But it doesn't movie, quite hold up compared to the other two movies, though. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's good. Like, at the time. like At, at the, the time, time, yeah, it was great. But seeing this one now, I don't think I've ever seen such... Un- not, it's beyond Uncanny Valley, you know? It's like, it looks so real. The way that these, yeah, it's, it's trippy. Exactly. You don't like, how did you make it look that good? Yeah. Do do you guys know if they did any practical effects? Because when they have those close up shots on them and the camera is just lingering on them and I'm thinking like, this has to be practical in some way. And I I don't think it was, I think it was all just mocap. It was all that mocap suit with the, uh, the face cam. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah, it's great work. And beyond even the CG, this is a gorgeous movie. Uh, like yeah. the the settings and the the way it's framed and the the shooting, it's just it's done really well. Yeah. Uh, what my- I loved about it too is that it's also like a POW film. You know, it, it's not when you see the trailer. I, I expected just an all out apes versus humans war movie. Right. And yeah. We yeah. realize this is a battle of philosophy the entire time. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's that. It's perfectly to lead me into my final pro, is that this is not just tonally a dark Planet of the Apes movie. 
this is just a all around dark movie. It's oh, yeah. brutal. It's vi- like violent. It's traumatic. It's it hits. <laughs> it's it's like a straight up war movie. You see the horrors of war in this movie. They don't hold back. It's only in like the first half hour was I sitting there thinking like, oh, there's some cool action here. But whenever there's any other action sequences that come up, I'm so engrossed to the story that I'm not sitting there thinking, oh, this looks really cool. I'm I'm actually quite affected by how it's all going down. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I I think it's. Um... It's quite a uh, an epic in many ways, yeah. and uh, we were talking in the Patreon pre-show uh, about a biblical cinematic universe, and I said that was a good transition into War of the Planet for the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> and I'm I'm yeah. not kidding when I say this is one of the best biblical epics that's ever been put on screen. Uh, so much of what Caesar goes through is the Moses story. Moses. Moses yeah, there's yeah. so much Moses in what's going on here. There's a little bit of Abraham there, too, a little bit of Joseph, but it's mostly Moses. But it has that, you know, epic. I thought it was interesting, too. It has that kind of Ten Commandments feel, which, of course, is Charlton Heston, who, yeah. of course, was in, in the Planet of the, of the Apes. I thought that oh, was Oh, you did it! You did it! <laughs> <laughs> you connected it! Um, so I thought that was interesting. But, yeah, I just I was so impressed by how powerful these things because it's really a movie in many ways about leadership it's about what it Absolutely. means to be the guy up front and in in a time when we could use some real actual leadership you know uh i i found seeing, you just got political uh, not necessarily but yes i did uh you know it's nice to see those characteristics and why they're important for leadership and that goes beyond policy you know if you want to say we're getting political it goes beyond like what you're deciding to do it goes with to character it goes with the person you are and why those things are important when you look to a leader and what they're going through yeah. so i found that really really captivating as well yeah because there's uh, there's consequences to him choosing not to right. be a leader to his people right and they show they really dive deep into the consequences that occur from that the the lack of trust that occurs yep. from the other apes I mean, if anyone's ever read 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, he does, like, everything wrong. In the first <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it kind of has a two-face in the Dark Knight element to it. You know, um, live long enough to see yourself become the villain almost kind of. It was like, it, it was it was playing with that a little bit in this movie because you don't want a hero throughout all these movies who is always good. You have to have a yeah. struggle. Mm-hmm. You have to have conflict yeah. of the mind. And I love how they worked that into this movie. And beyond everything yeah. else, can you guys believe we're having these conversations about a monkey about Planet of the Apes movies? Like it's just yeah. the, it's mind blowing to me when they announced the first uh, you know uh, Franco led Planet of the Apes movie. I was like, oh okay, here you go again, Hollywood. And and yeah, then no they, one thought that was going to be good. <laughs> no. And then they pull this off over three movies, like. That's mind-blowing to me. Well, I think it'd be, it has a lot to do with the fact that a lot of people had that Tim Burton bad taste in their mouth still with the Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch movies. Yeah. And how oh, yeah. awful they were. That that movie was so bad. Marky Mark and the Banana Bunch. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was just thinking about how, I mean, with the original Planet of the Apes, it's not an action movie. It's not about the thrills. Right. Uh, the first one. and. It's interesting to see that, you know, after coming off Rise and Dawn, which had amazing action sequences, that this third one was really about its themes the entire time. It was less about excitement and more about themes of mercy, compassion, uh, for uh, all, all that kind of territory that 
and uh, understanding humanity too. It's like uh, through le- you you learn way more about humanity from the apes than you do from the humans in this movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's yeah. one of the best things about it. What do you guys think about Woody Harrelson? I thought he was fine. Yeah, just I, fine. You didn't love him or anything. I, I really enjoyed his performance. I think I was just so captivated by the other stuff that that's not where my focus went. You, he was overshadowed by like Andy Circus. By not just Andy Circus's performance, but I just mean by the whole experience, just the oh, story. Okay. Like he was just part of this amazing story. And I think that speaks well to his performance. You know, he didn't um, distract me from you know what was going on. Which a performance like that could have a tendency to do. It could be a little over the top. Uh, but I, I actually thought it fit in well. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that because I, when I saw the trailers and heard it was Woody Harrelson, I thought he might chew up scenery a little bit, but he actually didn't at all, which I really appreciated. And beyond his performance, I love the way the direction of it chose to handle him. He's really built up the entire time because he's not, he doesn't get a lot of screen time until the last half of the movie. And when you finally start seeing more of him, they don't. I don't know if you guys follow The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. where, um, you know, like in The Walking Dead, they're building up this Negan character, and then suddenly the mo- the show becomes the Negan show. And I thought, okay, that's what they're probably going to do with Woody Harrelson. But even when they start giving him more scenes, they, they still let him transition more into the movie as opposed to, here's a bunch of Woody Harrelson now. And I thought he did a really great job. I, I That monologue he gives that they tease in the trailer where he's explaining why he's doing what he's doing, where he comes from. I thought it was very powerful and effective. Yeah, totally agree. Good stuff. Well, let's let's touch on some cons. Uh, I didn't really have many. You already talked a little bit about how the movie backs down the action in favor of more intellectualism and more story and themes. Uh, that is not a negative for me, but I can see not how it, me, I, I, I can see how somebody who's going expecting, uh, you know, like you said, you know, monkey on human war. Uh, the whole yeah. time, maybe a little disappointed by that, but um, yeah, yeah. that was actually a pro for me. Yeah, I yeah, me too, me too. Yeah. But I, you know, I guess in my in my video reviews, that would qualify as a yellow, you know, as a caution, like you know, this yeah. is something that didn't bother me, but it might bother you, kind of thing. Exactly. Um, yeah. But what were some of you guys' negatives? I'll go. Um, I wasn't a fan of the ending in this movie. They had a lot of resolution to the story arcs that they were doing in the film that i found for me personally not satisfactory do you, do you feel like and we can talk about it, it more definitely in spoilers. spoilers is where i'm gonna have okay. to get more in depth maybe we'll that. wait then maybe we'll wait for spoilers to talk about that that yeah. con for you um so i guess one that we can talk about is that this is a very serious and dark movie but this film tries to sprinkle in humor here and there mm-hmm. that for me and i'm totally in the minority on this if the audience I was a part of has anything to say about it, <laughs> yeah. I was not a fan of them trying to sprinkle in humor in this movie. I understand. Like bad ape. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bad ape and uh, some of the things that he does. I understand why they did it because it you need some of that stuff. But well, it, it also informs the universe in an interesting way too. There's some interesting things said about this particular character. Yeah that help make the larger universe make sense. That's another thing about this movie that we often forget with prequels because sometimes it's hard to do, is it has to go to an endpoint. We know what happens in those other Planet of the Apes movies, and the way they've handled the the transition to that world, I think it's been very informative and interesting. So there were some parts of that bad ape character that that spoke to that a little bit, <laughs> literally, um, but there's there, I can see how you thought maybe it was a little bit forced. Some of that humor. Like I said, I did laugh in the movie, but 
in retrospect, like looking back on it, I'm like, man, if they would have cut that out, I might have enjoyed the movie more. I'm really glad he was in there. I, I really liked that comic relief, actually. Don't cut him totally out. Uh, you know, just t- cut it back a little bit. See, I'm kind of halfway. I'm, I'm kind of there with both of you because there were times where I thought he was teetering a little too far with the co- with the company, but it never it never actually crossed the line for me where I was bothered where he became a Jar Jar Binks or Dobby kind of character. Yeah, he yeah. reminded me a lot of Dobby. I will say that. I, I yeah, will. Well, visually, <laughs> visually specifically, he he reminded me a lot of Dobby. Dobby. Um, there there was one moment he had easily my my biggest laugh in the movie there's one moment um i guess where i'll just say they're digging and he, he does something i guess i can talk about it in spoilers and i laughed out loud for at least four or five seconds <laughs> i don't know if you remember what i'm talking I about i have a but, feeling i know what you're talking about yeah we, I, I remember now i remember yeah, I know but about. <laughs> yeah. uh but yeah we can chat about it more in spoilers um did you have any greg any any cons you wanted to speak of see my my con with the film it's not. It's not a like a. It, it's it's similar to the way how you approach the the con of how people might go in expecting a lot of action, but it's not really a con. It's just preference of taste. Um, for me, one missing element from for me was an element that Dawn of the Planet of the Apes had, which was a, a this great understanding of both sides. Uh, I, as I remember when I watched Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, how you have these human characters and these apes characters, and you you don't view them as bad anyone as bad guys. Like they have individual characters who are bad, but but you don't view the societies as bad in any way. And so by the time they start fighting, it's it's not like you want them to fight. It actually is like dis- disrupting and disturbing that they're right. fighting. Right? Yeah, each it's other. complete tragedy. But in this one, it I love that it's primarily like ninety percent of the film is all on the apes, all on Caesar. But a missing element for me was some good in the humanity. It just seemed like a majority of the hu- all the humans were pretty much bad guys except yeah. for the little girl. And that was that was the one missing ingredient for me was I wish that there was more 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 perception, more good perception fr- coming from the human sides. Like there were times where you see characters where they have conflict, and at the end of the day, I still understood where Woody Harrelson was coming from. But I, I, I did miss that element of feeling like, oh, this is just two people. Because in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, it's, it's like uh, these people just fear each other. And it's a difference of uh, philosophies. And then here it's like, no, it's, uh, the apes are good, but the humans are bad. And, and that's what it – Yeah, that's, that was the one thing I, that kind of missed for me. Yeah, and unfortunately I think they kind of they kind of had their hand forced in that a little bit, again, by the fact that we know where this world is going. And so you're looking at a human race that we know is in the death throes, right? And yeah. so, uh, you know, how you handle your death throes is, can be pretty violent. You know, it can be uh, pretty messed up. So um, I, it makes sense story-wise for where they had to go. Uh, but you're right. I, I wouldn't have minded if there had been at least a few human characters that we got to look at and go, okay, oh, more. Yeah, that they're they're more understanding. So, um, yeah. But I. But again, for the universe we're in, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and at the same time, I I, I do appreciate it because when you watch the original Planet of the Apes, that this is a that this movie is a prequel to. When you watch the original Planet of the Apes. The apes are kind of perceived as scary and bad, and we're we're in Charles and Heston's shoes. 
Right. And then in in this movie, they completely flip it where you're in the ape shoes and they're the good guys and the humans are the scary ones. So I, I really, in a a way, even though I find it a con, I also find it a pro. Oh, I get it. It Yeah, totally. Do you guys have one last thing? Yeah, let's do one last thing if you've got it. Uh, Andrew, do you got one last thing? Don't say the title of the movie as part of a dialogue. (laughs) 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 No, he he missed one word, didn't he? Yeah, the, I think. (laughs) Or war. War. Yeah, it just, this will be a planet of the apes. Uh, oh, he, no, he missed the. He said yeah, this will this be, be a, a planet, planet of, of apes. Of ape. I'm like, oh, he didn't say the, so I can't fully ding him. <laughs> Just uh, yeah. He gets a C minus. Um, that's funny. I didn't even think about that. Really? Uh, no, no. I I didn't even notice it actually. <laughs> oh man, it it was right in my face. I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> what about you, Greg? Um, you got one more thing? Yeah. Um, I one more thing. There was one specific sequence that took place in this movie um, that got me very excited for Matt Reeves to do the Batman, and that was the entire cave sequence. When I saw mm. that sequence, oh yeah, yeah, I know exactly saw, what you mean. Yeah, because that was like moving through the shadows and the way it was all cinematically captured and intense. I, it just reminded me like this is Batman working in the shadows, or it could be the Bat Cave, and. Uh, Watching that sequence, I, I, le- I leaned over to my friend and I said, this guy's going to pull a sick Batman. Like, it was that specific scene when... Because before I was like a little... I, I wasn't sure if Matt Reeves... I knew Matt Reeves could do a good job, but I, I, I didn't know if he could add a special flair to it. But that scene really showed me that he will probably do a pretty amazing job. My one last thing is that uh, the Planet of the Apes prequel franchise gets everything right about prequel franchise storytelling that Fear the Walking Dead gets wrong. Uh, <laughs> it is it is the ex- they are on exact opposite ends of the spectrum. You mean it's actually a prequel? <laughs> yeah, well, it, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It 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 explains what happened in a way that you're interested in it, and not only that, it tells you why it's important and what it means and. With Fear of the Walking Dead, it was just, okay, this happened closer to when it started, but we're not going to really explain anything. Now it's just another Walking Dead series. Yeah. Yep. And I agree. That, that really, that, what I appreciated about th- this prequel specifically was I wasn't focused on the end result, and I would kind of forget about the end result. I, I would be so pulled into the journey. And I would wonder to myself, like, are the apes going to win? I would actually think that. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, no, that's that's good, good stuff. storytelling. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think uh, even even Andrew, even though you didn't quite like it as much as you, it's a high recommend from all of us, Dude, right? This is like what you said last week, right. with Baby Driver. Just because you didn't <laughs> love it as much as the rest of us, that doesn't mean you didn't love it. I really like the movie. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I just didn't love the movie. Yeah, yeah, man, what a good few weeks of movies it's been. Oh yeah. Spider-Man, um, uh, Wonder Woman, uh, Baby Driver, especially Baby Driver. Yeah, and then this. The and- Mummy? <laughs> oh, yeah, The Mummy, come on. <laughs> Transformers yeah. 5? How can you forget Transformers? Transformers? Yeah, yeah. It's, nice to see, it's nice to see a handful of really great movies. Especially summer row. blockbusters. Yeah. It's been a couple of years since we've had a good summer blockbusters. Like, year. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it sing- these, this last few weeks have single-handedly saved the summer for me in some ways, so. They're becoming. They're, sorry, I was just saying the the summer movies are becoming films again. They're becoming much more than just like you get your ones that are just focused on entertaining blockbusters. But I really feel like with Planet of the Apes, Logan, Wonder Woman, Baby Driver, that they're becoming 
actual stories and with that are character driven as opposed to just entertainment. Yep, you're absolutely right. And then Aaron, your next week is your most anticipated movie, isn't it? Uh, I don't know if it was number one most anticipated for me, but uh, for the year, because uh, Star Wars certainly would be oh, yeah. probably more anticipated for me. But, but Dunkirk's up there. But Dunkirk's up there. I'm, I'm really excited to see what Nolan does with that. So, yeah, it's it's been a, a few good weeks. And I've got one more really good one to talk about in my uh, Buried Treasure later. So it's it's just been some nice, nice film going lately, which I appreciate. As somebody who has to go see everything, it's nice to enjoy <laughs> the majority of what's happening recently. Let's move directly into our best ever Woody Harrelson movie. So this best ever challenge will be to name the top three films that Woody Harrelson is in. So not necessarily Woody Harrelson performances, but the movies that he's in will go number three to number one. Don't forget, if you have something ranked higher than somebody who mentions it, then you can trump it. Trump. So what will happen is if somebody has one of your movies at number three and you've got it at number one, just say Trump and we'll wait to talk about it until we get to your ranking. Uh, We'll also do some honorable mentions at the end. Let's start with number three. I guess I can kick it off. Go with it. My number three Woody Harrelson film is actually a very recent movie. I love The Edge of Seventeen. and Seventeen. Yeah, that is in at number three for me. Uh, Andrew, you got a chance to see it, didn't you? I have not seen that one I wondered if you hadn't seen it yet. I really want to. Greg, have you seen it? No, I haven't, but I heard it's incredible. It's so it's really good. It's one of those movies that that surprises you because you think you understand, oh, it's probably a good this type of movie, but you come out going, oh, it's more than that. Um, great performances throughout, uh, really heartfelt, gets um, the high school experience right in a way that I think is appropriate, and I love the relationship, teacher-student relationship that Woody and uh, Haley Steinfeld uh, have in that movie. Really stellar stuff, so that's in at number three for me. Greg, why don't you go next? What do you got at number three? Uh, number three for me, because this is a list of movies, right? Not not just Woody Harrelson performances? Or is exactly. It Woody yeah, movies that he is in. Okay, that slightly changes up my list a little bit, because this movie, I don't really remember Woody Harrelson being in this movie, but <laughs> I do think it's a fantastic... I remember... A, being very amazed and blown away by it. I would go in no country for old men. Trump. Yeah, we're going to have to trump that one. We'll Trump. talk about that one in a bit. <laughs> go for it. Uh, what do you got, Andrew, at number three? Zombieland. Nice call. Oh, oh. man. Ruben Fle- is Fleischer, is that how you say his name? I would say Fleischer, but Fleischer? Okay. I'm never sure. You're probably right. Um, man, this is easily his best movie. And I didn't easily, hate Jesse yeah. Eisenberg in this movie. I thought, I thought he, this was right around the time I was kind of getting done with his, you know, mannerisms that he does in his movies. Like, he did it in Social Network, and it really worked, but then he tried to carry that character over to other movies. But for some reason, it really worked. And the way he play, the him and Woody Harrelson play off of each other is phenomenal. Yeah, it's a it's good movie. It's so funny. I definitely had it in my honorable mentions. Okay. Um, it's good stuff. And Emma Stone is gorgeous. Great road trip movie. You know, kind of has that yeah. great road trip feel to it. Some interesting <laughs> things. Very funny. It, it reminds me of uh, the National Lampoon's Vacation movies because they're going to an amusement park, you know? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's a good point. And I remember, I remember that came off not too long after Shaun of the Dead. And I remember thinking, like, oh, is this going to be a Shaun of the Dead wannabe? And it managed to completely be its own thing. And it really did surprise. And Woody Harrelson stole the show for me in that movie. Oh, yeah. Easily. Uh, Aaron, number two? Yeah. My number two is White Men Can't Jump. <laughs> I love it. 
Uh, I, I this is one of those sports movies that's just uh, unique in its own way. Uh, very funny, very interesting. Probably one of the only times that I've really enjoyed Wesley Snipes in something. Um, but I think there's there's really great camaraderie there. There's really interesting thematic things going on there that I think a lot of times you don't see upon first watch. But it's just one of those wonderfully woven stories and really in kind of a really fun ride. So yeah, I enjoy White Man Can't Jump. Totally That's my number two. Greg, what do you got at number two? Uh, I have the um, Flick Freaks as number three is yeah because I composed my list uh, based off of Woody Harrelson performances as yeah. well as the movies. Um, I, I do have Zombieland as my number two actually. Uh, yeah, no Zombieland. Uh, there's not much more I can say than what you already added to it. Uh, that that movie is just an absolute delight, and when it comes to to Woody Harrelson's journey for a Twinkie, it was <laughs> what I what I what I love about what I love about every Woody Harrelson performance is how he's always he's so layered. There's always this guy with so much pain in his past, and then you're seeing the repressed version of that. <laughs> I feel like that's a lot of his approach to his characters is a guy with a lot of pain from his past, and then he's a repressed version. And I love this character that you don't see in any zombie movie. Where he's a good guy, but he loves being in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> and you can see that this guy was probably nothing really before the apocalypse, but seeing him but having the apocalypse gives him a chance to be something a lot more. And I really, it kind, kind of the way how Sean is in Shaun of the Dead, but uh, having a lot more fun. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the ensemble's great. It's so freaking funny. And uh, yeah, I, I love it. I love that movie so much. Great stuff. All right. What do you got, Andrew? Number two. Number two. Seven Psychopaths. You know what? I didn't I did not even have that in my honorable mentions. I totally forgot about that movie. One of my favorite movies. So funny. What do you like about it? I think that the chemistry, not only between, you know, you have um uh, Christopher Walken, Sam Rockwell, and uh uh Oh man, come on, Andrew. Colin Farrell? Yeah. It's brilliant. Those guys play off of each other so well, especially this is definitely Sam Rockwell's movie. Easily, it's his movie, and just Christopher Walken and Colin Farrell are along for the ride. But I like Martin McDonough's style of humor, especially in Bruges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you sure. have Woody Harrelson as this crime boss who is very emotional, especially towards his dog, which I think is the funniest thing. Because, you know, you, you can picture Woody Harrelson as the big, hard, you know, mean guy. But seeing him, like, emotional is really funny. I didn't expect that side of him in this movie in particular, and I loved it. I can't recommend it enough. I may have to go back to that. I watched it once, and I don't remember being floored by it or blown away by it. So maybe I'll have to go revisit it, because I just don't remember much about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe I was just in a bad place. You ever have that happen, where you watch a movie and you're just not into it, so you're not paying attention or... Yeah. Or whatever. I totally, yeah, I've been there. I'm just, I can't think of any off the top of it, but I know what you're talking about. I've, I feel like Martin McDonough, you, you sort of have to be in the mood for, for his brand of comedy, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I loved In Bruges. Yeah. So, I don't it's know. It's just not a movie go... you can watch every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> maybe I have to go back and watch it. All right. On to our number ones. Yep. I think you and I have the same number I, one. Well, I know we do. Yeah. Uh, it's No Country for Old Men. It's no Country for Old Men, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, man, what an incredible movie. Uh, I just, it's, it's one of those, it's, you know, in my top movies of all time. It's in my top 10. Yeah. Uh, it's so unique and powerful and beautiful and treacherous. It's just, you know, it's pretty amazing stuff. And like with Seven Psychopaths, it's not Woody Harrelson's movie. This is definitely Javier Bardem's movie. Yeah. 
And and you can make a, a case that it's also a Tommy Lee Jones movie, but it's those two guys. Woody Harrelson's barely even in it. Right. But Yeah. Wow. Josh Brolin, this is the first time I can remember seeing Josh Brolin in a movie. Mm. Was this oh, his so breakout badass. performance or was he in others before that I'm just not thinking about? Oh, I'm sure he was in other stuff before. Yeah. But uh, for me, this is like, oh, this guy. I'm going to watch things he's in now. Yeah. And I just love the Coen brothers. They'd never done anything like this before or since. Yeah. And I'm, I want them to go back to this style <laughs> of movie. I mean, their comedies are great. Don't get me wrong. But I want to see a chase horror. It's a horror movie in a yeah. sense because mm-hmm. Anton Chigurh is a terrifying character. Absolutely. Yeah. What do you have it's to say about s- it? It's also a simple premise, too, which I appreciate because it, it's, it's all about its execution, which makes it unique. Exactly. And I think that those are the movies that actually stick out to people the most. Simple plots, but the delivery to it and the way that they make it work, that's what can set a movie apart. You can, have a, you can have a simple premise. It's all about the execution. I talked a lot, a lot about it. It's your number one as well. Why don't you have it? Yeah, I chatted for a little bit there at the top. I, I echo everything you say. Uh, that performance by Bardem is is absolutely astonishing. Um, it's it's interesting. came out right uh, around the same time, didn't it? That um, Oh, to, There Will Be Blood. There Will Be out. Blood. You know, yeah. And I just, I, those two movies, like, I, it's just like, they're kind of locked in my mind yeah. because they feel so very similar in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're both just amazing films. So both yeah, of those it. movies are in my top ten. Yeah, they're <laughs> great, great films. What's your number one, Greg? Yeah. Before I go into my number one, I wanted to say that I I agree that No Country for Old Men is probably the best film mm-hmm. out of any of the movies I'm choosing. But because this is a Woody Harrelson list, I wanted to I wanted my number one to be a, a movie where you remember Woody Harrelson sure. being in it, you know. And uh, I'm gonna go with uh, this might sound cliche, but I I'm gonna have to go with War for the Planet of the Apes. There you There's, go, nice. And I, I I think yeah, because of the movie, we talked plenty about it already. Um, but one thing that Woody Harrelson does that surprises me is I feel like Woody Harrelson has his career, especially now that he's like. He has weed named after him and all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that I, I felt like Woody Harrelson might have been going down a path where he might be looked at as kind of like a joke or like a Christopher Walken or something like that. But then he he managed to do a role where uh, in this big blockbuster where I'm not finding it funny that Woody Harrelson's in it, but I am finding him rather menacing and scary. And I miss that. And because of that specific feeling, maybe because it's the most recent you know, when I, when I look back on films like Natural Born Killers and how creepy and terrifying he is in that, and then I see him in this after he has the image he already has laid down for him in the public eye and having Edge of Seventeen come out, it's amazing to me to still see, like, this guy is still a powerful actor who can still terrify an audience or move an audience in a dramatic way and not just be funny Woody Harrelson that we've become accustomed to. No, that's a great choice. I certainly don't don't mind it. Um, it definitely was in my honorable mentions, uh, for sure. So, speaking of which, what other Woody Harrelson movies are there to even mention? Oh, I got a bunch, actually. Yeah, I've got three more. Okay. Uh, I don't know if anybody but me saw this movie, but I love it. It's called Defendor. No. Have you seen that one? I have one? no idea what you're talking about. So, um, this is going to sound awful, but stick with me, okay? Imagine Forrest Gump wanting to be a superhero. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like a very... It, it sounds rough, but he um, he's a simple-minded man who wants to take down crime. 
the problem is he's actually good at it <laughs> and he goes about it in the weirdest ways like he'll trip he goes home alone on villains okay. and that's how he beats them up like with marbles or jars filled with uh, hornets that he like throws and the glass breaks and the hornets start you know stinging people and uh He's going after them, but the reason why he's going after them is misguided. But I really like the movie, and I highly recommend it because it's not a lot of people saw it. Yeah, no, it that's out, interesting. I think it came I out even, about seven. Years I don't even ago. know that I heard of it until yeah. you mentioned it. He he wants to be Batman esque, but uh, and he's also homeless too. Yeah, so I recommend it. I think it's a lot of fun. What else you got? Thin Red Line. I didn't like Thin Red Line. You I'm didn't? not a Malick guy, though. I I just don't get his movies. Okay. Um, what did you like about it? I I like Malick's visuals. If there's one thing that Malick does know, it's visuals. And yeah, he's a, a great artist. I just I don't know that he's a great storyteller for me. Yeah. Um, did you ever see Out of the Furnace? The I did. With him and Christian Bale. What did you think of that one? Yeah, it's it's got its moments for sure. It definitely mm-hmm. has some some real great tension to it. Uh, some uh, I- incredible acting moments in it. It has some flaws as well. Yeah. Uh, that bring it down overall for me, but I mean, it's you know, it's definitely an, an interesting watch. Yeah, and my final movie, I'm going to throw out like Cheers and True Detective, obviously, but there's there's not movies, right? But um, my final movie is a movie that I think gets poo pooed on a little too much, and that's Kingpin. I think that movie is Kingpin. Funny. <laughs> that was that's when I honorable mention. Okay, yeah, I think yeah, Kingpin yeah. is a fun movie. Greg, why yeah. don't you go ahead and tell people about Kingpin? Then I've been talking for a long time. You see, I would prefer you to do it because I haven't seen it in a few decades. Oh, me neither. I just remember that I love the movie. Yeah, yeah that's exactly my feel. Like I remember the scene when he uh, when he has to pay rent when he ha- when he sets up uh, the guy to, to mug his landlord, and then yeah. he saves the and then all the landlord wants to have sex with him, and then he's vomiting in the toilet right afterward. I, I just, yeah, I love its commitment to the comedy and the the absurdity to it. Yeah. It's classic cinema right bowling, there. Bowling champion. Because I remember, I don't think the movie, that movie, what makes that movie really great to watch is I don't think the movie itself is necessarily great, but I, I remember what made it great to watch was Woody Harrelson. Oh, yeah. And it was his performance and him really amping the comedy up. He's a guy with a hook hand and, and, like, and he does Bill Murray. And, uh, Bill Murray with his hook hand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or, no, no, I mean, yeah. Uh, Woody Harrelson yeah, had Woody the hook Harrelson, hand. Woody, Woody Harrelson with the hook hand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The con artist personality, this, this guy who's down in his luck, who, who really just wants to be like king of bull. I, I don't know. I just, was that the Fairleys? That yeah, that was Fairly Brothers. Yeah, that was kind of the tail end of their raunch com kind of. Yeah, you know, uh, height of their, you know, after there's something about Mary and then that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. Well, um, Randy Quaid in this movie isn't insane, and the fact that they got him to not be crazy <laughs> is a <laughs> how testament. Do you, how do you take the crazy out of Quaid? Exactly. Yeah. Well, the thing with Independence Day is he's supposed to be crazy, so he's you know char- he's a character actor in that movie. But this one, he's very tame, and I bought into his character. I think the Kingpin's a pretty fun movie. Well, I'm glad you guys enjoy it. Greg, what else did you <laughs> What else do you have in your honorable mentions? Well, uh you guys already mentioned a couple that that I had uh you know Kingpin and White Man Can't Jump. Uh so I'll pick a couple that um that I there's 
There's one movie that I saw once in the 90s, and uh, I remember really loving it. I don't really remember Woody Harrelson in it. Uh, it's called Wag the Dog. Yeah, that's yes. in my honorable mentions as well. Dustin yeah, Hoffman. That, where they like they it's them like they're faking a war, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, that that was uh, who who's the director? That was a Barry Levinson. <sighs> Give me could a be. Second. I'd have I, to look it up because I remember yeah, I re- it was about a it was about a politician who just got elected and a sex scandal was about to come out. So like. Well, we got to fake a war to take off the yeah the, yeah it was Levinson publicity it was Levinson yeah it was, yeah, a, okay. it, was it was a political satire and I remember I think David Mamet wrote the script for it and that was just a really entertaining film and I I was pretty I was born in ni- in 1990 and I was really I saw it when I was like eight or nine years old and usually an eight or nine year old can't really get into a political satire type of film yeah but wa- even watching that at such a young age I remembered really enjoying it and being very fascinated with them creating this fake war with Hollywood production and all that. And yep. Yeah, that was a really delightful film. And I think that was, it might have been the first da- David Mamet film I saw, actually. And um, did you have any others? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I feel like no one's going to choose this movie, but I'm going to say it. I really love Woody Harrelson in The Hunger Games. Yeah, I had that I on think, my honorable mention, actually. I think every time he's, granted, it's a, totally a Jennifer Lawrence driven vehicle. But especially in the first one, whenever he is on screen, he is the one you are most entertained by. And, and that first movie is a good movie. I enjoyed the first yeah. Hunger Games film. I thought it was pretty I, I good. Ju- I like the first two a lot. But yeah. if we're talking with Woody Harrelson films, I feel like the first one is a, is a film you can say, like, Woody Harrelson does a great performance in that. Uh, this alcoholic who's finding redemption and helping someone else survive the Hunger Games. Like that, I really enjoyed his performance in that movie a lot. And he's funny in it, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the only one I have left on my list that nobody mentioned was uh, Scanner, Darkly, uh, Scanner which, Darkly, which I think is really inventive trippy and, movie. and very trippy. Uh, and one, if you're looking for something really interesting to watch, the storytelling in it isn't you know completely captivating, but it's interesting enough to hold you uh, when the visuals don't. Uh, and I just I think it's a, a decent film, so I wanted to make sure and throw that out there as well. Yeah. I would want to throw, you know, I don't really like this movie. I don't even remember it. So, I, see, when it came out of all the topics we had to discuss today, it was this specific category because I was like, man, it's been a long time since I've seen a lot of Woody Harrelson films. And this movie kind of annoys me, but I, I still really appreciate its performance. I would say Natural Born Killers just oh, yeah. the performance factor. It's worth mentioning. He's certainly, uh, you know, very much known for it. Uh, I did not like that movie. I thought it was. Um, unnecessarily nihilistic uh that it didn't it didn't even serve the story how uh insanely meaningless it was yeah. uh but um but his performance you're right is certainly worth worth mentioning yeah i just re- i like how he embodies a psychopath with in a, in, a, in this in a different type of manner it, it, like i feel like there's a typical serial killer approach you can take with it but he, i i really i loved his approach of how he thought he was doing something right and doing something good, providing a service. And this was his calling as opposed to being this, he didn't play it like a traumatized guy. I mean, we know the character's traumatized, but he didn't play it like that. He he played it like this was his redemption. (laughs) And uh, I found it very fascinating, but the movie itself is, is quite annoying to sit through. It it is. Yeah. Was that movie before the people versus Larry Flint? I can't remember. I'm but, not uh, sure. And I think it was after. And it was after JFK. Yeah. I don't know if it was before People versus Larry Flint. Because if you 
the 90s whenever Woody Harrelson was in his quote-unquote prime, he's getting back to that prime, but there was a little bit of a lull there where mm-hmm. he wasn't doing too much. So the 90s and now is whenever Woody Harrelson is like on it. Oh, and Austin Powers is why you shagged me. I was going to yeah. say, nobody brought up yeah. Austin Powers. <laughs> or or yeah. any of those Now You See Me movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Now You Don't. Yeah. That's, uh, now You Don't. Now You Don't. <laughs> now you don't. <laughs> Before we move on to our Sift Quest, a big old shout out and thank you to our supporters, Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash studio DNA. You're supporting not only this podcast, but uh, other podcasts that are on this network. Big announcement starting next week. New Music Digest is back as a podcast. Now, if you didn't know what that is or haven't heard of that before, basically it's a new music podcast where we listen to new albums live and talk about them while we're listening to them for the first time. So it's like hanging out with friends, listening to new music, and then discussing whether or not it's good and what's good about it, that kind of thing. So that relaunches next Wednesday. Uh, If you're interested, it will be live, like the podcast on Studio DNA are, or also you can subscribe to it. It's already available. Just search for New Music Digest uh, wherever you do your podcast, and uh, you can find it there. Thanks for making podcasts like that possible. It's because of your support that we add podcasts to the network. So if you go to patreon.com slash studio DNA, you can check that out. And don't forget, you'll get your own podcast feed that has all the special bonus stuff right in it, comes right to you. So all the pre-shows, all the bonus material will come to you directly as a supporter of the network. Uh, Support starts at $3 a month. Big thank you to Timo, who joined in this week uh, and is a new supporter for Studio DNA. Thank you, Timo. Much appreciated. Let's get on to the Sift Quest, guys. Do it. This is where you put us on a journey of knowledge. I don't know. Sounded better in my brain before it actually came out of my mouth. (laughs) Uh, The the Sift Quest is where you offer a question that you have, maybe a debate you're trying to settle. Whatever it is, you can hit us up at feedback at siftpop.com, or you can just tweet at me. That's Aaron Dicer. This actually came through email from Jessica. She says, uh, loved your conversation on the difference between strong female characters in action and in depth. What are your best examples of female characters that you thought were strong in both areas? This came after a discussion of Baby Driver in that the female characters, though one of them was strong in action, I didn't feel like many of them were strong in depth. Like yeah. we didn't know a lot about them, why they you know did what they did, those kind of things. So what are some great female characters in movies that have been strong in both areas? I have five examples. Nice. Um, well, why don't you start? Give us a couple. Ellen Ripley is number one, obviously, for me. What she does in the not only the first Alien movie, but Aliens, and even Alien 3... She understands Tara. She is smart. She's strong. Sigourney Weaver is just brilliant. I lo- she's like one of my heroes. I yeah. love Sigourney Weaver. Um, well, what I love about her in Aliens is she's courageous because she's someone who you can see is afraid, but she's not just like, I'm going to handle this. She's mm-hmm. someone who has to muster up courage to do it. And to me, that's real strength is when you have to face fear with courage. And that's where real strength comes from. Oh, sure. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, good choice. Um, more action based with this one, Imperator Furiosa and Mad Max Fury Road, Charlize mm-hmm. Theron's character. Yep. I had that one as well. She, she's just, uh, I'm, I'm sure she's strong, but I think for the most part, people associate her with getting things done, action, uh, a per, uh, protective figure. You know, she's very motherly. 
Yeah, see, that's what I like, and that's what I mean about the depth. Like, you understand her motivations, you understand her character, you know, where she comes from. She's not just there to serve somebody else's story. She has her story that we're interested in and that's being served. Um, also, I didn't like these movies, but I understand why people do uh, a Beatrix Kiddo, the Kill Bill Phil series. Oh, interesting. You don't like those movies? Not a fan. <laughs> No. That's a, that's, she's my top. That was my top choice right there. I'll let you talk <laughs> on it then. Yeah, why don't, Greg, why don't you throw out some stuff on Beatrice? Well, Beatrice Kiddo, I mean, I, 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 I'm kind of surprised that you said that you don't like those movies. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I'm really stuck on that right now. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not sure I'm we can sorry. be friends anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't come out to LA now. <laughs> well, with, with Beatrice Kiddo, for my my thought process has just been totally thrown off now because <laughs> now I'm like, now I need to, now I need, now I want to defend the movie. <laughs> um, uh, when it comes to to that role. I think the volume one and volume two complements her character so well. Because in the first one, she is tough chick. But with, with volume two especially, you see that she is someone who is very traumatized and very hurt and very vulnerable at the same time. Someone who had to run away from this life of being an assassin because she really wanted to have a normal life. She wanted to experience love and have a family. So you get... All those female qualities, wanting to be a mother, wanting to be a wife, and and settle down and just experience life through love. But she's someone who has been wronged greatly and has to uh, and, and seeks out on this. It's it's one of those movies to me that I, I think the way how we talked about No Country was a simple plot. It's just a simple revenge story, um, but it's it's executed in such a different fashion. And uh, someone who has to go through with her plan, even by the end of Kill Bill Volume 2, you know, she's heartbroken and she's crying, but she knows this is what she has to do. And she has to fulfill the title of the film and kill Bill. And I I really appreciate her performance in that. And I thought she got gypped on, on a couple of nominations for Kill Bill Volume 2. I thought that was a very layered performance. And I, I felt like she got gypped. I think that's a it's a great choice. Um, I'll throw a couple more out there. I think we had the quintessential answer to this question just recently with Wonder Woman, uh, yeah. who is yeah. incredibly strong on screen, both in action and in depth of story. It's obviously her story. It's about what she's going through and about her compassion and the way she sees humanity and her desire to save people and help. And uh, it's pretty incredible stuff. So I think that's a great example. Uh, one of the primary, other primary I, examples I go to is Ray in uh, the new Star Wars movies. Yeah. Um, I think Ray is a really great example of a character who is a strong feminine presence in a different way, even. I mean, she, she is strong in her action and she's learning a lot. And I imagine that will even increase as the movies continue. But even beyond that, she's somebody who is uh, allowing her own story to be told. She's not, you know, dependent in. You know, you think of movie story ways as a lot of characters are. Her her relationship with Finn is really interesting in that way, too, in that he kind of wants to be that man who's there to save her, you know, the day for her. And she's like, I don't necessarily that's not necessarily what I need, you know, yeah. and she ends up saving him in many ways. So I, I just really love that uh, juxtaposition there. And I love that character of Ray. So that's one of mine. I, I would say I would say Sarah Connor. From Terminator movies. Oh, how can you forget Sarah Connor? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sarah Connor definitely, especially when you look at the comparison between one and two. She's she's so different in both of those films because in the first her she in part two she's a product of what happened in the first one, and I love how much she evolved and changed because in the first one she's this this fragile woman, and in the second one 
you know, she's, she's, a she's really just a very strong overprotective mother. Who's yeah. Try who, who's just trying to set the course right for her son to be able to defeat the machines in the future. And yeah, she breaks out of the hospital. Um, her, the way she handles every, I mean, for me to like go into this, you'd have to break down the whole movie for, <laughs> yeah. for her to be there. Cause, cause she's so layered, especially in Terminator two, cause she's strong. She can, she can use weapons. She, uh, she's one of the, what I really appreciate about Lyndall Hamilton's performance, something that Sigourney Weaver has in aliens, especially too, is when she delivers tough lines, she sounds super believable. Like she's, they, they, she, they seem like, both of them seem like very intimidating women when you like watch them in, yeah. in there. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point as well. Did you have any others you wanted to mention guys two. before we move on? I have two more. All right, go ahead. Ones that I can't not mention. Number one, Clarice Starling, Silence Starling. of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, whenever they look at Silence of the Lambs, obviously they think of Anthony Hopkins, but it is definitely Jodie Foster's movie. It is her being intimidating with her, that her, her biggest, uh, you know, thing that she intimidates people with is just how smart she is. Mm. At the same time, she's still learning because you see her in the training grounds and she's still picking up stuff, but she's determined, she's passionate. And I love, I love whenever there's a crime drama, whenever you see your main protagonist doing whatever they can to help somebody. Mm. And that is, she is the epitome of that for me. And one final one, definitely not an action strong sure. in the classic sense, but Aaron Brockovich Mm-hmm. Aaron Brockovich, that was on my list. Yeah, oh, go for it, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, huh. the way she just does not take crap from anybody. She she won't suffer fools. She is somebody that should be looked up to. This should be a uh, movie that you watch in school. This is how you treat people who are trying to wrong you, and you're just <laughs> not gonna stand for it. I love it. Yeah, good stuff. Do you have any more you wanted to mention, Greg? Uh, I have kind of an odd choice, I think, uh, when we think of strong female characters, because we, we think of heroes a lot of the time. Mine's uh, mine's more of a villain. I would go with Catherine Trammell, Sharon Stone, and Basic Instinct. Huh. <laughs> yeah, because she's, yes, she's a manipulator, but in that performance in that film, she, she, could, she commands the screen, and any room she's in, she she's in control and in charge of that. It could be a an interrogation room full of cops, and no matter what's going on, and even though she's suspicious, and you believe that she's most likely the bad guy in this story, I always believed why someone would fall for her, why Michael Douglas's character would be uh, lured in. Because even in watch, because I only saw that movie for the first time a few months ago, and even when I'm watching that movie, I'm like, yeah, I would probably screw this up too and start sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> more than just because she's really attractive in that film because she has this alluring presence that just she's uh, it's, it's gravitating towards her and sure yeah. i don't know if she's i don't know if she's a strong character this one she becomes strong but i just think it's a powerful performance i would go with uh sissy spacek and carrie okay there's oh yeah, yeah. it's a decent choice yeah. yeah there's something about um because yeah even though she's very weak and controlled in that movie she has these powers the whole time that could kill anyone. And by the time she caves in, you see that she's the most powerful being out of anyone in this war- this universe they have established. And, uh, yeah, I really love her performance. I like that descent into complete darkness that she goes through in that film. Yeah. And and if I had one more, I, I, 
I haven't seen these films in so long, but I, there's something about me that just wants to mention Hermione Granger in the Harry Potter films. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, that's a great choice. That is actually yeah. a really smart choice. Uh, yeah, because uh, yeah, I mean she's she's the most intellectual one. She's a muggle, and but yeah, she's doing her best to stand out in, in in this wizarding world, and then she ends up becoming like the most trustworthy one for all the knowledge and information, and she teaches too. I, I think she's a really strong performance in that film. I will just throw this out there. I will just throw this out there to save some emails. I don't think technically Hermione herself is a muggle. I think she comes from uh, muggle parents. So she's mud blood, right? Mud blood. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I just wanted to save some emails (laughs) from Harry Potter fans. It's okay. They're a passionate bunch. They're a passionate bunch. (laughs) Great choices all around. Appreciate it. And thank you, Jessica, for the Sift Quest putting us on it. I will say this as well. It's always a little bit weird for three guys to sit around and, and talk about, you know, best female, you know, strong characters. I think we're coming I, at it with a, from a male perspective, obviously. Right, so. obviously. And I, I wanted to throw that out there. In If no other reason to say, uh, if you're a female and you want to, you know, jump in, I would love to hear a, a female voice on this. You know, what are some of those characters that you look up to as a strong, you know, female in movies, both with action and with depth? Please, so Please uh, send us on Twitter who you like would vote for because i'm curious let's move on to our buried treasure guys what's that one thing in pop culture any area of pop culture that you want to have brought to people's attention and andrew let's start with you um mine is a new youtube is i don't know if it's new you can call it new it's a new YouTube channel, or you can find it on Steam. It's called Oats Studios. Oats Studios, you know this? <laughs> oh yeah, no, I just I just watched uh, all four of uh, the, the main short films. Oh, Neil Blomkamp, so, yeah, they're fantastic, fantastic, yeah. So Neil Blomkamp, you know, he made District Nine, Elysium, mm-hmm. and Chappie. Um, he's doing this one of thing- which was a good movie. Yes, District Nine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what he's doing now is he has this YouTube channel where he's like. These are concept short films that you let me know if you like any of them, and then maybe we can make them into feature uh, productions. And they're about 20 minutes long each, and they are full-on, like, big-budget Hollywood productions, and they have Hollywood actors in them. Like, the first one, which was my favorite, called Raka, it stars Sigourney Weaver, and it's about uh, aliens taking over the Earth instead of, you know, instead of the the prawns, you know, Mm -hmm. and... It's they're horrifying. They're graphically violent. Think of Twilight Zone meets Black Mirror. And the Black Mirror sense that it's very minimalistic with the information that's presented to you and very Twilight Zone with how eerie and haunting, especially the third one I saw called Zygote is a straight-up horror film. Yeah. And it is terrifying. Zygo reminded me of, like, The Thing and Aliens combined. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. Highly recommend it. Highly Uh, recommend it. And I like the second one a lot, too. Firebase, the one taking place during Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. I thought that was very fascinating. Yeah. And And I feel like the first one is more the most Neil Blomkamp-esque. I feel like the later ones become like, oh, this is very different than what we've seen Neil Blomkamp do. And I think it's showing off his range, you know, yeah, because exactly. whenever you look at Rocka, which like I said was my favorite one, it is, like Greg said, very Neil Blomkamp. It's dusty, it's apocalyptic, and it looks Slums. like it takes place. It looks like it takes place in Johannesburg. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. oh, it's super good. I highly recommend it. Oats Studios. You can find it on YouTube as well as Steam. All right. Very cool. Yeah. What do you got, Greg? What's your buried treasure? 
Uh, there's this app out there called TV Time. And this app, uh, how do I efficiently explain this? Basically, there's so, as we all know, there's so many television shows out there right now. And uh, this app has every TV show on there, not to watch, but they have it all broken down. So you can you can mark all the shows you've seen, all the episodes you've seen. They tell you what's coming up next. You can leave comments, reactions, reviews on every single episode. Like currently, I'm catching up on those CW superhero shows. So I just saw another episode of The Flash. So I could just bookmark, saw episode 12, season three, and then I could leave a review on it. But it also lists all the shows that I've already marked as completed. So you can literally track all the hours of television you've committed. I've, I've watched about <laughs> two, two months worth of TV in total. And, and you can track all that. You can see what you haven't finished. And, and it also notifies you when something is coming up. It's, it's basically the easiest way to keep up to date with um, all the TV shows. And also, if, if you don't have time to like, we're all critics here. And if we don't have time to leave a rev- to do reviews of, of shows, this is a great way to like leave a little bit of uh, of a review per episode if we wanted to a review of a season instead of having to constantly put out a new video for a show or something. Yeah, the first time I, I downloaded a uh, TV cataloging app like that, it changed my life. It, it like because of all the TV that I have to watch and I want to watch. I needed something where I could go, okay, here's the next episode for me to check out and then, you know, check it off, those kind of things. The one I use now is called Series Guide, but yeah, yeah, there, there are several out there that, that do really great work, uh, and uh, TV Time is one of them as well. So, yeah, I highly recommend it for somebody who watches a lot of TV. It's very helpful. Thank you. Thank you, TV Time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Aaron. What a- buried Treasure. Uh, my Buried Treasure is The Big Sick. Um, I want to make sure people know how amazing this movie is. Uh, it's getting a lot of buzz. It's expanded wide this weekend, I think, and I did get a chance to see it. Uh, it's Kumail Nanjiani, who's a stand-up comedian, who uh, is really kind of opening up his personal life to this story. It really tells the story of him and his wife, how they met, kind of what happened in their relationship involving an illness that she fell into. Uh, it deals with race, with religion, uh, with him coming from the Muslim faith, and how that impacted, uh, you know, kind of his relationship life and different things like that. Uh, and beyond that, it's hilarious. It's so funny. And it's funny in a way that is relatable. And that is the best kind of humor because not only do you find yourself laughing out loud, you find yourself moved. And when those two things can kind of come together in that way, I think it's a beautiful thing. And The Big Sick has that all the way throughout. Uh, we were laughing throughout a lot of this film. Uh, great performances by Ray Romano and Holly Hunter in there as well as his uh, wife's parents. And Ray Romano especially, man, that guy is funny. There was there was yeah. a um, after the credits like little promo for this like stand up comedy tour that they're going on with all these people. Like A.D. Bryant from SNL is in the movie. Uh, Judd Apatow is one of the producers, and so he's doing some stand up on this tour. And they showed I don't know maybe you know a couple minutes, uh, a couple times of Ray Romano stand up. I was in stitches, man. Really, he is so great. Yeah. He's great. He's fantastic. Um, so yeah, he was he was one of the standouts for me, and uh, had a really good time watching can, the Big Sick. Can I mention one more buried treasure? I'll make it quick. Sure, go for um, it. Uh, you guys are familiar with the popular channel Screen Junkies, right? Yeah, heard of. Them. <laughs> um, they have this uh, on Screen Junkies News. They have this new segment called Flickbait, which is absolutely hysterical. They they have like misleading titles called Flickbait. 
like Man of Steel, greatest Superman movie of all time or something or, or so, something silly. But then they play these games on the show and it's the it, for they have movie fights and they have honest trailers. But this is the chance to see the crew really let loose and just have a, a really fun. You get to see much funnier sides to all these guys where it's just commentary and improv the entire time. It's, it's I, I think it's pro- easily their funniest segment they've ever had. And uh, it's it's fairly new. It doesn't get too many views right now, and I, I really think it deserves a lot more attention. There you go. We did it, guys. Huzzah! We did a podcast. We did a podcast. <laughs> Podcasting has happened. We are rejoicing. Thanks so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is a part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other live and later shows on the network by following the feed at Mixler.com slash Studio DNA. That's M-I-X-L-R dot com slash Studio DNA. Huge thanks again to today's guru. It's Greg from The Real Rejects. Woo! Yay. Great. What's uh, so what's something, what's somewhere, you know, people can find you? What do you want to point people to? Uh, we have a Patreon as well that ha- that does a lot of exclusive content on there. I know Flick Freaks helped out with that. Thank you, Flick Freaks. For yeah, buddy. And I uh, really appreciate that. But uh, the main thing is, of course, our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash The Real Rejects. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at The Greg Alba and at The Real Rejects. Instagram, I mainly use actually at The Greg Alba. That's probably my favorite one. So if somebody searches for The Real Rejects at YouTube, they'll find you right off the bat? Yeah. Usually if you type in The Real, we're, we're usually the first ones to pop up. R-E-E-L. Because we're clever like that. No one's ever done that in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's always good yeah. to be the first. I will second the championing of The Real Rejects. Phenomenal channel. Everybody go check them out. Much love and gratitude as well to our Patreon supporters for giving monthly to make this show and others on the network possible. Support starts at 3 bucks a month, comes with some pretty fun perks. You can find out more at patreon.com slash studiodna. Lots of ways to connect with the show. Uh, you can do it through SoundCloud. You can tweet at us. Uh, you can leave comments on iTunes or ratings there. Or you can email us at feedback at sifpop.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like this show too. So let them know about it and that listening is much easier than starting a simian society from scratch. Spoiler chat for this week's movie should be next up in your podcast feed. And we'll see you back next week for Dunkirk. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.